Hi, welcome to WGWG.org, uh, talking to Dr. Elizabeth Amato about the beauty of the 2020 campaign season so far, the presidential campaign season. We're focusing on that. Uh, last week, a lot of interesting things happened with Super Tuesday and a few surprises as well. <laughs> a lot of surprises. <laughs> all of it was surprising. Um <laughs> It was very difficult to predict, and all of my predictions were wrong. I really believed at the end of the day on Super Tuesday, Bernie Sanders was going to remain the front runner. I was dead wrong. <laughs> Not afraid to admit it. Um, well, what, what happened? Well, what happened is um, on Super Tuesday, Joe Biden, just out of almost nowhere, but really coasting off of that South Carolina success, rolled into victory well and far beyond uh, Bernie Sanders and anyone else in the field. He had won South Carolina on Saturday, I think by 28 points. It was an extraordinary blowout. It was the victory he needed to keep himself viable. And he didn't just deliver on Super Tuesday, he solidified the field entirely behind him overnight, which is amazing and incredible to happen. Yeah, I, I was listening to a lot of the uh, pundits early on that day. Mm -hmm. And they were saying, well, if Biden can get within 150 right, delegates right. by the end of the day, that will be a good thing for Biden. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> hilariously, he well overshot that, yes. which which is extraordinary. He uh, was so close in Texas. He basically won Texas. That was surprising. Even California, which is a Sanders win. Joe Biden did very well there. And because delegates are awarded proportionally, he still picked up a large number of those delegates. Well, let's talk about the Buttigieg, the uh, Klobuchar, uh, and the Clyburn yes. endorsements and the impact they had going into Super Tuesday. And that was a huge impact on the consolation of the, not the consolation, the consolidation of the field coalescing around there. I'm using all my C words today <laughs> around Biden. Yeah, after uh, South Carolina, uh, that huge victory for, for Biden, almost immediately uh, Mayor Pete drops out of the race. He endorses Biden. Uh, Klobuchar drops out. She endorses Biden. Especially Klobuchar is important because her state, Minnesota, was having its primary on Tuesday, and that definitely carried Biden to victory in that state. Biden hadn't even spent hardly any money in the state because he kind of just assumed Klobuchar was going to get it. But with her endorsement and then all of her campaign staff working for Biden, just even in the course of two days, he wins it easy. And then the Clyburn endorsement, right, in South Carolina, that was an amazingly important thing. Basically, Clyburn's like a kingmaker now. Yeah, he endorsed yeah. Biden. He gave his blessing and on him. And that really indicated to a lot of Americans, especially African-Americans, that Joe Biden is a good candidate. He's a viable candidate. He's somebody you should vote for. And I would add to that that party leaders being important like that is what's really been missing from this campaign and this election as a whole. Uh, if, if you've spoken to Democrats lately, what they want to do is they want to elect somebody who's electable. They mm -hmm. want to nominate somebody who can beat Trump. That's the priority. Right. And so they've been really tossing and turning with a lot of these different candidates trying to figure out 
who's really the viable one? And Clyburn really showed the power of party leadership and how important that is for often indicating to voters, not telling them what to do, but giving them a nod, giving them that this is somebody who the party thinks is a good choice. One of the things that I saw leading into uh, Super Tuesday, or really leading into, I think, South Carolina primary, mm-hmm. was there were a lot of similarities to 2016, a huge field of candidates, now not 16, 17, or 20, like we saw four years ago with the Republicans, mm-hmm. but still a huge mm-hmm. field of candidates. A week has made a huge difference on that. Um, talk about the similarities between uh, what we've seen um, with that with 2016 uh, with the Republicans and the Democrats, mm-hmm. and then the differences. So where we are now. Sure, right. Well, in 2016, you're right, the Republican field was big. It was 16 candidates, and they did not drop out quickly. Um, even into Super Tuesday, you still had several contenders. Trump was still the front runner. He had uh, stayed the front runner through Iowa and New Hampshire. Ted Cruz won Iowa. Trump won New Hampshire. But Jeb Bush was still staying in the race, thinking that somewhere Jeb Bush exclamation point was going to carry him to victory. Um, Marco Rubio was still in the race. I forget when Chris Christie decides to actually finally bow out. Um, And then John Kasich, constantly thinking that people will one day wake up and realize he was the true, real moderate they all needed to uh, consolidate around. Ben Carson stayed in as well. I, I could go on. Yeah. Um, but they a lot of those candidates uh, did not drop out until, some of them until um, April or late March, which is extraordinary. Um, and so there never was, or there was a huge field with the Republican f- candidates. We see that similarity this year where the Democratic Party also had a large field. I actually think uh, last summer it was as many as 20. They have done a better job of narrowing it to about five or six main candidates as of February. Um, And a week ago, there were still about three, four, there were what four or five candidates. I'd say Sanders, Biden, Warren, uh, Mayor Pete, were still considered front-runner candidates. Um, and Amy was still being oh, thought yeah, about she, in circles. She was. Yeah. She was still, and she was still considered very viable to have a good showing, um, certainly to get further, and she was going to definitely win her home state. And then Bloom Park, Blo- oh, Bloomberg, right. Bloomberg was a, was a wild card. I almost forgot about Bloomberg. We can't forget him. <laughs> Bloomberg is maybe the most amazing part of the entire election. He proves that not only can money not buy love, it cannot buy an election. Um, (laughs) that was amazing because a week ago, if you will recall, a lot of newspapers and journalists and political thinkers are thinking, Ooh, maybe Bloomberg is our great hope to defeat Trump. And you see a lot of these positive, uh, writings about him. He has a poor showing in a debate. He has two poor showings in a debate. He's not on the ballot, which turns out to be a huge mistake. He really should have shown up for those earlier. The contempt he had for voters that he didn't think that they were worth it. Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada. Super Tuesday, people weren't going to have it. Um, There you go, American Samoa. (laughs) He got you. And also uh, Tulsi Gabbard got uh, the one delegate there. But 
what a huge difference is, is the extent to which the Democratic Party has rapidly narrowed that field. Mm -hmm. Here we are in, we're in the beginning of March, we have two main front runners, which actually, and here's the really interesting thing, if we think about 2016 as an outlier, especially with the Republican Party, and it was, this actually is normal. It is normal at this point, I mean, in terms of the last 20 or so years of elections, that about mid-March, you got two main front runners, Or even there's, you know, one person who definitely looks like they're going to kind of get it, but the other person very reasonably is staying in. Um, even as re that's what happened in 2016 with the Democratic Party, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders were the candidates. You go all the way back to 2008, if anybody recalls, Uh, Hillary Clinton was the strong early candidate for that election. Obama comes in, has a good showing in some of those earlier primaries, and he starts peeling away voters and interest. Uh, but the race ultimately does become just two main candidates before uh, Obama clearly becomes the front runner. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, and let's talk, let's talk Bloomberg. What was it uh, that he was expecting that just didn't happen. Did he think that the Super Tuesday was going to be, okay, I'm going to win several states. All the money I'm pouring in is going to happen, especially in the South. Yes. He really believed that by kind of carpet bombing YouTube and the airways and the networks with advertisements and all of his little brunches. I know there was a brunch in Charlotte for Bloomberg, a Bloomberg brunch. Um, <laughs> that this was going to generate interest. He, I think, made the calculation that what voters really need is name recognition. And that was something hurting somebody, say, like Clova Carr, right? Her name recognition, unless you read the New York Times endorsement for her and Warren, is kind of low. One of the advantages that Donald Trump had going into 2016 is his name recognition was sky high. Uh, people had spent the last two decades um, knowing who Donald Trump was, seeing his name, seeing him as a reality star. He was on the Golf Channel as well, WWE. He did some spots, movies, TV. Uh, his name recognition was amazing. I think Bloomberg really believed that that was just a big part of it. And with the power of that advertising, he'd have high name recognition. And then going into Super Tuesday, it would be this grand moment. I think there's some showmanship behind that, honestly. Tom Steyer was also a Democrat who is a billionaire in the Democratic race, who also has since dropped out, and we have failed to mention. Uh, but he participated in those early debates. He participated in the primaries. I think Bloomberg really just wanted to kind of swoop in once it was obvious that the field was weak with Joe Biden and the other candidates and have this grand, glorious blowout where he demonstrated its name recognition, folks. I am the front runner of the Democratic Party. That did not happen. Uh, <laughs> and almost immediately after Super Tuesday, he saw the writing on the wall yeah. and made a choice. Talk about that choice. Yeah, on, on a Wednesday morning, uh, he announced very quickly that he was dropping out of the race and that he would be immediately endorsing Joe Biden. And essentially all of his campaign structure, his advertising, his staffing was going to ultimately be turned over to Joe Biden. 
what Bloomberg cares most about in this world is defeating Trump. And he thought he was the person who could do it. As soon as he realized he had no path to victory, he's like, I'm turning it all over to Joe Biden. Which, for Joe Biden, this is a huge boon, because what he'd been lacking uh, even a week ago was not only funding, but the, the ground game, as political scientists call it. The, the, the campaign, the staffing, having offices, people who are going to go out and hand out leaflets, people who are going to just be on the streets and walking and doing things in your name, surrogates. He's got it now. He's got it all. Basically, he has access to Bloomberg's entire campaign infrastructure, and that's an extraordinary advantage. And with that in mind, it's even more impressive that Biden won Super Tuesday because many of the states where he won uh, or even competed incredibly well, he did not have that ground game. I actually think this is maybe the funniest part of Super Tuesday. Joe Biden, in a way, does better in states he didn't even visit than the states that he spent a lot of time campaigning in. Um, I don't know if that's throwing too much shade on Joe Biden, but maybe it says something that, ah, <laughs> you're easier <laughs> on <laughs> for people to support if you don't actually show up. I th Well, for example... Virginia, right? Virginia really was a tough call, right? Uh, could have gone for, for Biden, could have gone for Sanders, even Klobuchar could have made a good showing. Um, but ultimately, he wins it pretty easily. He spent, I want to say, $12,000 in the state of Virginia, which is nothing. That's like, there's some yard signs, maybe, uh, outside a few houses somewhere in Fairfax County. <laughs> <laughs> But it, what that was, I think that you talk about the underdog and you talk about him finding a way to come back mm -hmm. and do it with so little yeah. well, this uh, is, at his disposal. This is such an encouraging, I think, from the pers encouraging perspective from American politics. Um, for the last 15, 20 years, as a general rule, you raise more money, you win elections. There are lots of charts where you can see this happen. Uh, the limitations on campaign finance have gotten kind of looser. People have chosen to forego the matching federal funds, which if you took the federal matching funds and put a cap on how much you could spend, everyone has, has opted not to because they could raise more money outside of it. So the conventional wisdom was the more money you raised, you were likely to win. Um, and the last two elections have really shown us otherwise. Uh, in 2016, and here's another good similarity, uh, Trump raises and spends less than Hillary Clinton. She was by far uh, better uh, staffed campaign. She had all of that ground game, which was superior to Trump, uh, but he manages to get that, uh, nom or he actually wins the election. I'm actually skipping ahead there a little bit. <laughs> actually, here's the better comparison. Ted Cruz had the better ga uh, ground game in 2016. His state organizations were unmatched. That's why he was a clear second runner up in 2016. Um, and in 2020, the encouraging sign we see is Bloomberg outspends everyone. But even Bernie Sanders is very, very well funded this year. His ground game is highly impressive. And yet Joe Biden on, at this point, what you could call a shoestring, because 
donors had really been told to kind of stay away from him. The media and the presentation of him was as a loser. He came in fifth. Um, he manages to win. This is a really extraordinary turnaround, which shows that Americans really are looking at the candidates. They're not always impressed by flashy advertising. They're thinking about other values and factors. And that's Absolutely. a very encouraging sign. Absolutely. And, and we did not, we have not said much about Bernie. And, and I don't want to leave Bernie out there uh, in the yes. cold. But he was, he was, it was his to lose yes. going into Super Tuesday. And it, he did, he did, <laughs> he did. So, uh, what's next for him? Bernie Sanders, uh, well, he uh, canceled a speaking engagement in Mississippi, which is one of those states with a primary on Tuesday, this Tuesday, uh, and said he's going to Michigan. Michigan is the state he needs to win. Um, in fact, this is becoming the big crux or the narrative surrounding this Tuesday. Bernie Sanders, if you will recall, in 2016, had a huge victory in Michigan. Um, Hillary Clinton was projected to win that state safely, easily. I think she barely visited it for the primary. Um, and then at a as a total shocker, Bernie Sanders wins the state by, I want to say, 10 or 12 points. That is an extraordinary margin of victory for pollsters to miss. Uh, which reveals that state polling is not always great. And I think that's what Sanders is counting on. State polling is still not always great. Uh, it's just not as good as the national polls. I think he's still counting. He knows he has a deep bench of support there. He did so well in 2016. He's going to go there, try to tap into that. If he wins Michigan, he will stay viable in this race. He may not, even if he doesn't win, he still may stay in because I think Bernie Sanders has points to make. Mm -hmm. Um However, as far as viability to uh, a pathway to nomination, it's Michigan or bust. Gotcha. And as we look at that uh, primary on March 10th, you've got Michigan. Michigan's the big one. Um, Idaho, Mississippi, Missouri, Washington, and then North Dakota has the Firehouse Caucuses yeah. as well. So any of those other states that you think we should be looking at for either Biden or Sanders for, for impact? Washington State is the one that's most likely going to go for Bernie Sanders. In fact, I'd, I'd put down money on that. Um, the only factor there is they're shutting down schools because of the coronavirus, and that may have just a depressing factor on the primary as a whole. I'd still expect Bernie Sanders to win that state. Uh, he will certainly tout that as a victory. Mississippi will likely go for Biden pretty easily. Um, Idaho, honestly, I, I don't have a good read on Idaho. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but those are things to look for. The, the Michigan's the big win there. Gotcha. And the next debate is scheduled for March 15th in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. It's going to be a, a, a different kind of debate because mm -hmm. we're only looking at two or maybe three candidates if, uh, if Tulsi gets I think invited. she's not making the threshold, you know? though, still. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the debates will look very different yes. compared to what we've seen so far. So what are you expecting from that debate? Well, this debate is a very interesting debate because, as you say, it'll be the first one where Sanders and Biden are facing together. And they're both... Sanders is going to get more heat from Biden. If you actually look at the several debates that the Democratic Party has held, Sanders has not gotten a lot of heat. Elizabeth Warren has frequently not as backed off of him. Uh, all of the candidates kind of have. They've been going after each other, uh, and they've gone after Joe Biden. That's one reason why Joe Biden has had a lot thrown at him. 
But to some extent, this might help Biden. He's already had a lot thrown at him. There's not a lot new that Bernie Sanders can toss his way that people haven't seen before. Um, whereas Biden might be able to mount some interesting uh, criticisms and attacks on Sanders. This, however, then raised the question of Biden's performance generally in um, the uh, debates has not been great. He's been weak in every single one of them. Um, I, I, and the cynical me says that one reason why Biden has done so well this week is between Super Tuesday or between South Carolina and Super Tuesday, nobody has seen him debate again. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so Biden needs to have a good showing, not because he won't get the nomination. Uh, like I said, I think a lot's going to hinge on Michigan. We'll still have that debate on March 15th, but it'll indicate to voters whether or not they think he can stand against Trump in the fall. Uh, at that point, people are not going to be thinking about the nomination as much as they're going to think about what will Biden look like when he's on the stage with Trump. If he can't manage to deal with Bernie Sanders' attacks, he's going to have a hard time countering Trump's. Awesome. Dr. Elizabeth Amato, Gardner-Webb University. And your title at Gardner-Webb? I am the Assistant Professor of Political Science. All right. We look forward to having you back next time uh, after uh, after spring break and after all this is over. So a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll see what... We'll see. We'll see where we are then. Thank you so much. Thank you.